Hi, this is Brian Landau, and you're listening to The Drip, a podcast about how to caffeinate your campaigns. Today, I'm joined by Janet Joswal. Janet is the Vice President of Global Marketing at CloudBeds, a leading hospitality platform. In this episode, we talk about contextualizing the message against international buying personas and how the pandemic has impacted the international hospitality industry. Hi, Janet. Hi. Janet Joswal is the VP of Global Marketing at CloudBeds, the fastest growing provider of hospitality management platforms. With more than 20 years of marketing experience, Janet understands how to build and shape global marketing strategies to maximize results for high-tech software companies. She has held senior marketing roles at companies including IBM, Tealeaf, eBay, and a variety of other SaaS companies in Silicon Valley. She has earned a bachelor's degree from UC Berkeley and an MBA from Carnegie Mellon University. Janet, thank you again for being with me. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. So for those that aren't familiar, what is CloudBeds? What market are you serving? So CloudBeds is the fastest growing technology provider to the travel and hospitality world. So our mission is to power every property globally with our integrated cloud-based hospitality management platform. Today, we empower more than 20,000 independent hoteliers and hosts across 157 countries with the technology that they need to grow their revenue, to streamline operations, and deliver memorable guest experiences. We want them to run and grow their business with confidence and ease through better technology. So in other words, we help independent hoteliers and hosts with listing their rooms on online travel agencies sites uh, such as Booking.com, Agoda, Airbnb, etc. Also to take reservations through their websites, price their rooms, all the way to managing the front desk experience, processing payments, and so forth. Can you help map the hospitality space for me? Because in America, we're really familiar with the big hotel chains, but internationally, independent hotels are far more prevalent. So what does this look like outside of this very American-centric mindset that I think some of us approach the hospitality space with? Yeah, Brian, you're right. Uh, In the U.S., uh, large hotel chains such as Marriott and Hilton are what most people are familiar with. However, starting with Airbnb, which was founded back in uh, 2008, the popularity of more unique experiences really started to take hold. People began to shed the notion that when they traveled, the only option they would have is a room with four walls that looked cookie cutter and was really only located in the most popular places. People wanted flexibility of ways uh, to eat, when they wanted to eat, meaning if they didn't eat during the restaurant's open hours, they were out of luck. And pe- that's not how people you know, wanted to travel and, and, and uh, enjoy themselves. Uh, they wanted more space to relax and they wanted to freely mingle about uh, but as you can imagine, in a hotel, that would be you know, a suite, and, and those things come with sticker shock. Um, so you know, people also didn't want their hotels to be centered around like business travel only or pleasure only. They, they wanted a mix. They wanted the hotels or the places they stayed to meet their needs, not the other way around. And so many consumers today, they crave something beyond the typical hotel chain. They not only want unique and memorable experiences in their choice of destinations, but also in their activities, and also wanted to experience a variety of lodging options that are more um, intimate and unique. 
And so these can often be found in accommodations such as uh, bed and breakfast, uh, inns, campsites, hostels, cabins, uh, as well as smaller group hotels, right? It could be all the way from boutique and high-end luxury to budget uh, group hotels. But those are usually, you know, under 40 rooms. They're not the chains that are so popular here in the uh, U.S. And certainly I can give you examples of uh, countries where the chains are not the norm. So let's take uh, Brazil uh, and, and Thailand, for example. The exact opposite is true. So if in, in Brazil, if you want a place to stay, you're more likely to stay at a posada. And in Thailand, at a smaller hotel that has maybe five to 40 rooms, but is not part of any chain. By the way, uh, the Portuguese word for inn uh, is a posada in Brazil. And so those offer a more intimate experience than your traditional uh, hotel chain. And they typically have no more than uh, 20 rooms. Oftentimes they're as few as 10 rooms uh, and they're independently run, uh, typically by families. Anyway, any accommodation that is not a chain by definition is an independent hotel. And that's the segment that uh, CloudBeds focuses on. You sort of explained this scenario where one of these inns, which has five to 40 rooms, for example, that isn't on a platform like CloudBeds might get a cancellation at the last mm -hmm. minute and they have to do everything manually, right? If you're a Hilton, you've got a thousand rooms and one yeah. person cancels, right. it's a bummer, no but deal. like no big deal, right? So part of the service that you're offering isn't just this streamlined automation, but I mean, there's like real cost savings and yield management benefits to your customer partners. Can you talk a little bit about some of the benefits that they get in moving from a more manual to a more automated, you know, cloud-based platform? Yeah. And you know what? It's not just the benefits from going from manual to automated. It's also that the hotel industry, it, it's, it's a long established industry that has you know, about a dozen different systems that do all the things that CloudBeds uh, software does. But that is how, you know, hoteliers have learned. That's how they've been educated uh, when they go to hotelier schools, right? Which is you have a separate system for managing reservations. You have a separate system for booking. You have a separate system to connect to all of these OTAs, the online travel agencies where, you know, you can get a, a ton of traffic. They have another system for housekeeping, another one to make uh, to process payments, and, and so on. And so imagine a, a smaller, more independent hotel that has to then purchase like 12 different systems, and then they have to go train their staff. And in the hoteling industry, the turnover is very high. And so if you spend three months to tra train them on, and I'm not picking on them, I'm just using um, this as an example, but if you train them on an Oracle system, and you spend three months training them and they leave in nine months or maybe when, this, you know, when it's low season, you have to start all over again. And so this, it becomes incredibly cumbersome and expensive and, and painful. And we thought there was a better way to do that. We wanted it to be intuitive, easy to use, very, you know, you train in a day or two, uh, actually minutes. Uh, you don't spend three months learning it. And if it's integrated, so I'll give you an example. When you go to a smaller hotel, you're essentially, you know, when you swipe your credit card or you do, um, you know, your touch, a touchless payment, that goes into one system. What you don't know is that the hotelier then has to take that information and put it into their reservation system. That's kind of the norm, you know, unless you have this high overpriced custom built system. 
Now imagine reconciliation is hard. Imagine how difficult it is if you're off, if there's a little bit of an error, because maybe that person is also, you know, talking to a guest while they're trying to do this. Well, by it being integrated, you don't do the reconciliation. There are no errors and you save a ton of time. You know, right away that payment has been attached to that individual. Everything's good to go. So that's an example of where we streamline it. But in addition, the platform helps market the property, right? Because it's a lot of uh, hoteliers are not marketers. They are, that's not what they went to school for. They went to school to run and manage a hotel. And so having to market your property, having to maintain a website and then drive traffic to it, having to run promotions and you don't, you don't know what your competing hotelier has. So you're guessing, well, is this a good rate? Is this a bad rate? Am I going to get people or not? If you have last second cancellations, you're stressed because you've got 10 rooms and that's one tenth of your revenue that's gone. And so being able to have a system that manages that end to end, not just operations management, but and revenue management, but how to market it, how to improve that guest experience becomes important. And we, definitely saw that uh, the independent hoteliers and hosts were underserved. And, and I'm not talking about just small guys. I mean, the independent hoteliers and hosts, you know, have 60, 70, 200 rooms. They're just not affiliated as part of a chain. That's really the definition. So from small to large size, those are the folks that didn't have corporate headquarters telling them, you must use this system and we've taken care of, of vetting it and everything. These guys have to have to have their own and they don't want the spaghetti mess of a bunch of different software. They want it all in one place. You know, one login, always in sync, one platform, right? That, that's kind of uh, very much our philosophy. Are there some specific ways that you've had to adopt to COVID? Yes, two things. One is we are a remote first company and we always had been since our founding. So it wasn't something that we had to change during COVID where everybody had to work remotely. We've been doing this from day one. So the nice thing is that um, that has helped us to thrive during COVID as opposed to having to adapt. And we have a lot of different uh, software that helps to connect all of our, our remote employees such that they feel like it's part of one community. And we very much have that. Uh, the uh, culture is alive and well. Uh, and, and we have a whole lot of different ways that we do that. But the second part of it is the industry we serve is travel and hospitality. And as you can imagine, it was very hard hit by, the, by COVID, by the pandemic. What ended up happening is, you know, a lot of people weren't traveling. So airline traffic was down. People weren't staying at hotels. It didn't matter how unique or different, how high or low price it was, where it was located. Travel was just down. So our industry took a hit. So, you know, of, of course, we felt the effects of it. But we took that opportunity to triple down on the travel and hospitality industry. We invested in our platform. We didn't lay off anybody. We believed in, in what we were doing and our mission, which was to serve the hoteliers, that we didn't lay off a single person. Now, of course, we had some attrition. Every company does. Uh, but that was that I thought was a pretty bold move on our part. The good news is that bet has paid off. Uh, travel is starting to return to more normal levels. Um, we see that in the U.S. We're starting to see that in Europe and in Australia. And, you know, soon it will become much more normal. We also did something that I thought was uh, very helpful for the industry. 
So we use that time to lead an effort called Hotel Leaders Help. It's a nonprofit organization that was set up to first to help first responders, healthcare workers, government entities uh, to find places to stay while they were serving, uh, you know, while they were working in hospitals, for example. In certain places, the need was so acute um, that nurses and doctors were flown in from other parts where maybe COVID hadn't affected them so much. And so they were working and they were, you know, oftentimes they're working long hours and they just needed a place to crash. And so what hospitality help essentially did was to bring together the people that had the need, as well as hoteliers and hosts around the world that, that wanted to pledge rooms such that these folks could stay there. And 1.2 million rooms have been pledged for this effort. You know, it's a small part. Everybody did, you know, everybody contributed to the fight, but this was how we thought we could help uh, uh, in the fight against, uh, against COVID. Uh, in, in fact, uh, if you go to hospitalityhelps.org, you can see it's still up there. It's still running because there are still parts of the world that are hurting. And the nice thing is that, you know, these rooms are available around the world. So if you need it, go through your agencies, you know, get matched up and then, you know, uh, go with it. It's a little bit more of a tactical question. When we connected beforehand, you shared with me that personalization in marketing is the holy grail. Your customers vary across property size, property type, location. When you think about personalization, are you creating language and culture-specific messages for your vast international audience? Is there a message for properties that have 10 beds and a different message for property that has 100 beds? You spoke about the pagoda in Brazil, but then also a similar type of model that's in Thailand. How do you think about your marketing mix and the localization of that message depending on who the buyer is? You know, in the 20 years that I've been a, a marketer, one of the things is uh, meeting the expectations of your customer uh, and making sure that that uh, experience is as good as can be. Uh, so that, that speaks towards personalization, which is that, you know, consumers today are becoming increasingly digitally savvy uh, and they also have rising expectations. They demand to be met on their terms through whatever channel they want. They want the brands that they interact with to know them, understand them, and add value to that interaction. So in my mind, the only way to provide this rich uh, experience is through personalization. Now, mind you, how that's done is different for whether you're marketing to consumers or companies, whether it's large or small, so in, in our case, the way we interact, what we interact and what, you know, and, and how we do it varies by property type. Is it an inn, a B2B, a hotel group, uh, a hostel? It also varies by the size. Um, if they tend to be smaller, they will have more general needs maybe. And if they're larger, they have very specific needs around certain areas. Uh, it depends on the geographic location. Uh, it depends on the language that they speak, and that has to be localized. It can't be just a straight translation. You know, there are certain words that just because you translate doesn't mean it, it translates, <laughs> if you will. Um, it also varies by, you know, which channels they go through. So that could be, is it social media? Is it email? Is it in person? Uh, is it at a trade show? Like, so, so there's lots of different 
touch points. Uh, also, the frequency of interaction varies. So you have to take all of that into account when you talk about personalization. Uh, however, it's easy to get overwhelmed and say, oh my God, if I have to think about all of these things before I even interact with them, I'm not going there. Um, it's too much. So, you know, when, whenever I've, I've come in to a company and, and look to see, okay, how can we be better at personalization? We always start with, you know, let's just do one level of personalization and we can expand as we go, right? So let's just figure out what's the most important way to separate out our messaging, you know, and that depends on what the customer segments are. And so I always say start small and then expand from there. Uh, if you try to invent that level of personalization where you have like, you know, 20 different factors before you send out even one email or before you send out one social media tweet, you're going to go crazy and you're going to overthink it and you're never going to get started. Uh, but I do very much believe that uh, without personalization, um, you're not going to be effective. And then the one golden rule that we apply, no matter what happens is don't be salesy, <laughs> add value to the conversation, teach them something new. They already know you sell X, Y, Z, right? You don't need to hit them over the head with it. You don't need to give them a promo, you know, if it's too soon in the process, teach them something, help them learn, help, help them understand, you know, give them a different angle or a different way of approaching their problems. And if you, if they learn from you, they'll come back and over time, they'll realize, oh, you sell something that can help solve this problem that you've been talking about. Okay, now I'll have a conversation with you. Study after study has shown that on average, customer needs 17 to 18 touch points before they're ready to talk to a human being, meaning a salesperson. And those touch points can be everything, right? Uh, it could be meaning different channels. It could be the website. It could be your LinkedIn profile or your Facebook profile. It could be an email. It could be that they've read something, you know, in the media, some article uh, or so forth. But the point is nobody wants to be sold to. They want to know they discovered you. And so help them discover you by putting out thoughtful, creative content that is as specific and speaks to the needs of your customer as possible. Don't be salesy. Like too many times people are just like, well, if you just tell them how great our product is, they'll understand and they'll, they'll get it. It's like, wait, you, you haven't even addressed, help them understand that they have a problem. How can you possibly tell them about the merits of your cool SaaS platform or technology platform, whatever it is that you sell? They're not ready. But people sometimes forget because, they're, because that's the ultimate goal and they want to get there as soon as possible. Uh, so I, I see that more often than not uh, happening. And it, it, lots of times people don't even know that they're, they're, they are doing it. So I'll stop at that. I'm joined today by Janet of Cloud. That's, I'm grateful to you for your time and your wisdom today. Thank you so much. Thanks, Brian.